In today's episode, I'm talking with an impact entrepreneur who saw an opportunity to create solutions using tech for social good and founded the UK's first online shop for the homeless. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good, good for business. Now here's your host, James McGregor. Today I'm talking with Varun Barnott, who is the co-founder of Unhoused.org. Unhoused.org is a social impact startup focused on using technology to help the homeless. Now, Varun founded Unhoused.org after he recognized the rising problem of homelessness and wanted to use his tech skills to make an impact. He realized that many people don't give money to homeless people because of doubts about where those funds might end up. So he set up Unhoused.org to link everyday purchasing activity to positive impact. Anyone can visit the online store and shop for clothing, and for every piece bought, one is donated to a member of the homeless community. Today, more than 100,000 items of clothing have been distributed, and they have designed a new product that is the world's first self-cleaning hoodie, powered by Nanotech. In this episode, you hear about Varun's journey from tech to social impact, and all of the things that he learned along the way. Let's get to my interview with Varun. So why don't we, for people who don't know you, uh, why don't we start with you introducing yourself and tell us who you are. Sure. My name is Varun Bannott. Uh, I'm the co-founder of unhoused.org. We like to think of ourselves as the UK's first online shop for the homeless. And we've been around for about two and a half years now, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. My background before that was in tech. I, I started a, or helped start a, a successful venture-backed tech startup here in London called Hubble. And before that, in a slightly more boring life, I was a lawyer. I, I graduated in law and spent a year working within an investment bank over in New York in a legal capacity. So worn many hats, but now trying to do some good in the world, I guess. Yeah, great. And so what, what's something that people may not know about you? Maybe Ooh. even friends. I... I I tend to overshower something people won't know about me. I I sometimes take at least two, sometimes even three in a day if I'm working out. But I've just got this habit where you've got to shower in the morning to wake up, shower in the evening to help you sleep, you know, shower after you've been working out, mm-hmm. you know, pre-dinner. So, yeah, I overshower, I think. <laughs> are, are, you a, are you a big swimmer? Maybe you just miss uh, being in the water. Maybe a bit of a water baby in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit of a swimmer. Not, not, not. Certainly not. Probably like um, you Aussies are, because we just don't even have the the weather. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I can, I can. Fair enough. Fair enough. And what, and what would you describe as your superpower? I've got a crazy ability to to consume coffee to no end, <laughs> and it usually usually affects my sleep eventually. But, but there doesn't seem to be a limit to to how much I can sort of consume in a day, which is. Which is a bit worrying, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, so how, many, how many coffees would you have a day? Well, I, 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 to be fair, I've tried to cut down recently, but it, it's still, still, we're still around three, three to four at least a day. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. There, there yeah. actually is a website you can go to, and I think you put in your height and your weight, and it'll tell you how many coffees you need to drink to kill yourself. Oh, or how right. many coffees? <laughs> and, and it's quite a lot. Yeah, it's it's several hundred, I think. So I think you're, you're well within. The okay, safe I'm not going to die just yet. Okay. Cool. <laughs> That's right. So yeah. you can enjoy your uh, caffeine fix. So tell us a little bit about uh, Unhoused. Uh, what is it? Uh, how, do, how does it work? Yeah. So Unhoused.org came about when my fiance and I, we both worked in the city here in London. 
And on our way into to work, we kept on seeing so many homeless people. And in fact, the the homeless pandemic here in here in the UK is, has reached, um, I think, its highest level ever. And um, I think the last stats was like one in 200 people are homeless or one in 100 people are homeless, which is crazy. Wow. So we kept seeing these people out on the street, uh, rough sleeping. We were reading in the news about um, what an issue it was with, with people going to shelters and food banks. So, you know, we both had a background in, in helping people and in doing, we, we'd worked with various charities before, just in our free time. So we thought, you know what, we're getting married, you know, start off something new. Why don't we just put our heads together and, and you know, start our own thing? And I was very bullish about not like starting a charity or a, like, a, like a, just a social impact cause where you just raise money. Rather than that, I, I thought, you know what, let's try and set up a business, but something which has a very strong social purpose at its core, um, but at the same time is self-sustaining. So we're not like, you know, just trying to raise money from, you know, the goodwill of people. And that's really where where Unhoused.org came from. Um, because I was working at a tech company at the time, I kind of knew knew enough about how to set up a, a, an online store. And, and, and that's basically pretty much, uh, you know, I pretty much built the site myself over here at home and basically just started to get the word out that what, what we're doing is we're, we're an online store for homeless supplies. If you're, if you're cold, I mean, this was, a, this was a, during the winter. So we're like, you know, mm. if, you, if you're cold, you're needing your own sort of jumpers or, or uh, shirts, trousers, undergarments, socks, whatever you need for yourself, buy it from here rather than going to you know your amazon or asos and for everyone you buy we'll donate one to the homeless so you're doing yourself good by by getting your warm clothing but at the same time you're actually generating very useful supplies for those who are most in need and and the last thing i'd say is is the spin that we put put on it at the time is what we will do is we'll actually take a photo or a video of, of us going into the shelter and giving that actual item and and we'll send it back to you so you you actually can see the results of what your you know where your money's actually going it's not like getting swallowed up in a big black hole you know in some big charity with bureaucracy and all that it's actually going you know very much to the front line and and we've tried to make that uh, the ethos of what we do and and trying to keep everything transparent and that's mm. that's unhoused.org in a nutshell and yeah i'm happy to tell you much more about about what, what, what we've done since then too yeah, so in the early days, so what sort of products did you start selling? Was it just random clothing items or, or was it – how did you decide what you were going to sell through yeah, this e-commerce platform? No, exactly right. So the startup principles were still the same because we didn't have a clue what people would really want to buy and what they need. So what we did was we did it in a really lean way. So what I did was I started up the online store and I put – as many different items as I could find that I thought people might want around this time of year. So everything from underwear to like long johns to Christmas jumpers and gloves. So pretty much anything that we thought you know people might need, but kept it pretty much. Well, actually we didn't. We Then I also started looking at colors as well. So I thought, you know, what kind of colors will be popular? Will people want, you know, like a, a red shirt or a, or a white t-shirt or a, well, they want like a smart white shirt. And what we actually did was we launched the site and, you know, started spreading the word about it. But we actually hadn't, we didn't actually have any of these items in stock at the time. 
so what we did was we waited till the orders came in and then the things that were popular we then went and ordered them from the manufacturer and then sent it out to the customer so that way we weren't like buying loads and loads of random different items that may end up not even selling and you know just going to waste or whatever and so that's essentially um, how we i guess got the ball rolling the most popular items to date has actually been just a plain white shirt because people always need a white shirt um you know you need it for you know work or you know functions and occasions I mean, at the same time, donating that to homeless people is really valuable because they use it for job interviews and things like that. So, so that's probably been our most popular item. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love the, that it set up the product without any inventory in the background. It's very uh, so Zappos. I know when they moved to online shoes, was exactly the same right. model. So he was in the apartment he was living in. There was a shoe store downstairs. So he did a, a you know basically a landing page. Went down, took photos of all the stores on the shelves in the shoe shop downstairs. Put them up on his website to test the theory. <laughs> Would people buy shoes online? Um, he didn't have a single piece of item, and then when someone ordered, he'd run down the shop downstairs, he'd buy it, he'd put his two percent markup on it, and check out the post. So yeah, so it's really clever. So I think because the people who are thinking about starting an idea, they, they've got this idea that they've got to build everything, they've got to have the, the whole business plan, and they've got to have the yeah. product ready to launch, and they 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 go in stealth mode. I'm doing inverted air inverted commas here at the moment, so they they keep it from everyone. But there's so many clever ways you can test your idea. Um, without actually having to spend any money on stock and to see what yeah. works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that's pretty much yeah. it in a nutshell. Yeah. So tell me, you said before when you initially had this idea and you were talking to your wife about it, you didn't want it to be a not-for-profit or a charity. Why a for-profit business as the vehicle to address this homelessness issue that you saw? Yeah, like there's so many business models out there when you think about business and and and, um, and startups. You know, you got... Uh, subscription models, you've got, you know, direct to consumer, and then, you know, there's SaaS. And then if you think about it, charity is also a business model. It's raising money from people and it going towards a specific cause. And you're not really selling anything to those people other than kind of, you know, raising it on goodwill and, and their emotion and, and, you know, the idea that they may connect to the issue that you're, you're trying to raise for. I didn't think, and, and my view, especially for millennials, is that charity as a model is not a good business model because constantly depending on people's goodwill all day is quite difficult. And I think millennials nowadays don't necessarily connect well with that. What they want to do is they want to see something, firstly, for themselves. And secondly, they want to know like where their where their money is actually going and, and tangibly see and feel what the effects of that are and so that's why we were very keen on doing like a buy one give one model where you buy something for yourself so you benefit but at the same time you're doing good for somebody else and at the same time by doing it like that we're self-sustaining because we're not constantly going around saying you know please give us please donate money we're so worthy and look how you know look how miserable the homeless people are and look how bad their plight is you know we're actually saying, well, well, actually, why don't you just want a pair of socks? Aren't you cold? Get a pair of socks for winter. And at the same time, and, you know, no one's going to really argue with that. And then at the same time, you know, you're going to be doing good for, for people who actually need it. And um, that's the way we've done ever since. We've not actually spent a penny on um, you know, marketing or PR or anything since we started. It's pretty much always been, been about buy one, give one. And that's kept us, kept us alive. 
the other thing I'd say about charities is there's always these statistics around sort of, you know, kind of 79p out of every pound, you know, yeah. goes towards kind of the bureaucracy and the, the, the actual administration of the, of the organization. And we were very keen to stay away from all of that kind of stuff and keep it, keep it like that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we certainly see with charities is that there's when someone gives you money to go to a cause, there's this, I guess, unwritten contract that they expect 100% of that money to go to the cause that they're giving to. And so, therefore, charities find it very difficult to you know, do things like, for example, they could take 50 cents out of, or 50p out of every pound mm. and apply that to a really clever marketing campaign and turn that, that person's one pound donation into 10 pounds right. but there's this ferocious backlash against well no i didn't give you my money to spend on marketing which which is what makes like charities end up it's like they're fighting with one arm time behind their back um because right, they're competing right. against commercial commercial entities that don't have those constraints around them exactly exactly yeah yeah so, so i think that this business for good sort of social impact driven or purpose driven for profit companies i think that's going to be like the emerging trend around addressing these problems. And it brings capital, it brings financial sustainability so you can continue to deliver on the impact without having to constantly put your hand out and be you know, dealing with just that pettiness around, well, I want 80, 81p of my one pound to go towards the two cores, not 79. So, Right, right. Yeah. So tell us about, you've got this buy one, give one model. Before you launched, did you actually go and speak to homeless shelters about what they need? Like how, where did you, when you started, you saw this problem with your own eyes as you're sort of sure. traveling to work each day. At what point did you actually go and then investigate what was sitting in behind, you know, why are people homeless and what were their real needs? Yeah, sure. So luckily we'd already done work with homeless shelters in the past. So like every year, pretty much I've sort of gone down with our family and family friends to give, donate food and supplies just down to the local shelter. So I've been doing that since I was, since I was young. So I've always had a little bit of a connection to, to that world. When we did our first like drop off, we gave all this cool stuff, but we, we really said to them, you know, what is it that you guys really need? You know, what is it that people come in here asking for? And, you know, they said, you know, what people ask for more than anything is, is underwear because people don't, lots of homeless shelters get like secondhand clove donations, but mm-hmm. they will never get secondhand underwear, like, you know, boxer shorts and, and stuff like that because, you know, it's unhygienic and stuff. So they, generally people don't tend to donate those things. And even if they did, I'm not sure how much people would want to wear them. So one thing they really need more than anything is that. So, so we made sure we put that sort of, you know, like a prime spot on, on the website and made sure that, that that was something that we that we sold because that's just something that people just don't really donate. And we, we were keen to. And by the way, everything on our site is brand new. So, so where homeless shelters get lots of secondhand clothing, especially from like these charity shops and things, everything they get from us is literally brand new. So it gives them that sense yeah. of, you know, pride and dignity that they're getting, you know, fresh clothing that's not just like a hand-me-down. That's, and, yeah, it's great. Yeah. 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 And and the thing that they told us about, which we had never really uh, considered, was they said, well, they need white shirts. They need, you know, you know smart, formal shirts. And it's just, no one ever thinks that homeless people need that type of thing. But then they forget that people who are in shelters are actually trying to get out of their situation. And often that involves, you know, looking presentable so they can go out and get a job somewhere. Um, so they need the right clothing to be able to get jobs and, and, you know, look more presentable. So that was another thing that we were pretty keen to put up there as well. 
the final thing is we thought about it and we decided to start also offering like services and supplies. So things like you can actually order a haircut for a homeless person via our website. So what we would do is we would we would go into there's a couple of shelters we work with here in East London that actually do like monthly haircuts. So we would go in and and essentially, you know, pass on their money to those hairdressers and they can actually do the cuts for them, which is pretty cool. Um, and again, it's something people forget that they actually need. They actually need a haircut because they, they're not going to be able to afford going into a store to get one themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So you, earlier you said when you first launched, the yeah. idea was to when you donated the goods, you sort of went and um, met the person the goods were going to mm. and you recorded a little story and sent that back to the customer. Tell us a bit about, about that. Did that continue? Are you still doing that today? And if not, why not? Or Or why are you? Yeah, we, we try to do it as much as we can. What we found is when we started to get more and more orders, we realized the most efficient way to do it was to batch them up and then like do it as part of like a big group donation. So we're actually going to go next week's actually my birthday. So we're going to we're going to make sure we go next week, hopefully, and hopefully on my birthday. And, and we're going to do a we're going to do a big drop off from all of the stuff we've, we've gotten over the last few months. And then we'll obviously send that back as like a video to the to all of the people who've placed orders over the last few months. So, yeah, we, we do try to do it. It's just not as always that easy logistically. Yeah. So sometimes we take a bit longer to, to send it out. And the other thing is it can be a little tricky as well because shelters aren't always that keen to have, you know, people taking sort of pictures of many of the homeless people. So that's uh, that's something we've actually we've struggled with sometimes, especially when we try to do, there's like a press piece we need to do. And, and you know, newspapers and things are very bullish on having a photo and things. And then it's quite difficult to get the right one when when they don't really allow it. But yeah, we we try and overcome it, and, and we usually work with the, with the necessary person in the shelter to, to just try and get what we what we can and send it back to the people who bought it. Yeah, and, and do you think it's something that's really important to those people, or is it a, a sort of one of those skepticisms? Is my donation really going to them? Once they're sort of convinced you guys are doing the right thing, then they don't need it anymore. Like, how, how important do you think that feedback loop is for the customers who are buying your products? Yeah, I mean, the, the thinking came from the fact that we live in this era now where, especially millennials, they want like instant gratification. So they want to see a feedback loop between what they are doing and giving and they want to see, receive that instant gratification that they've that it's done what they hoped it would do. So that's where the idea came from. And, and yeah, no, people do, people do email us and say, oh, have you, have you given it yet? We want to see what happened. And, um, at Christmas, we actually had a few people who put in like gift orders for other people. So they said, you know, we're going to buy, you know, we're going to give, you know, an X amount of money. We actually have a feature on the site called donate the whole shop. So you can just click one item and it donates the entire like, like shop. So we had a few people do that, but they did it for somebody else with the view that they'd be able to see where their donation went and they'd get like a video saying you know this is this is your birthday present which is that you've donated something to a shelter and this is the video of it happening in real life which is i guess pretty unique to do that in the in the name of somebody else yeah no that's great so what's been the biggest toughest challenge you know you obviously came from a a tech background to now Obviously, the tech up side was easy, but obviously the social impact probably wasn't. And what's been the hardest challenge, you think, in terms of getting unhoused 
up and running? Yeah. One thing I'll say is clothing is not an easy business. <laughs> you know, even though we're not trying to be the next big fashion brand, you know, it's it's hard because there's sizing issues. So so everyone has their own size and then there's returns and 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 then sending out new orders. You know, we haven't got some some large, crazy fulfillment process like, you know, like the big kind of online retailers. So it it's quite challenging to get sizing right. And and also like colors and things like that. You know, people like, oh, I didn't want this particular color. I didn't want this particular style. So it's it's quite a it's it's not a one size fits all type of thing. But I guess a, a broader challenge we've we've kind of had is and it's something we've been thinking about a lot, is, which is that, you know, going forward, we're gonna look start looking at doing more projects which which kind of actually take people off the streets, like on a more permanent yeah. in a more permanent way. Because clothing is great, it helps people, it makes them more comfortable, but it doesn't necessarily like help them off the street. So we kind of want to cure the problem rather than treat it, I guess. And so we're looking at a few ideas for the future, which again, sort of wearing our tech hats, which might be able to assist people with that as well. Yeah, you beat me to it. I was going to ask you that exact question around, mm. you know, the, the clothing is one piece of the puzzle, but you know, homelessness is a complex issue and there, mm. you know, there's a whole lot of reasons why um, people end up homeless and how you're going about that because I know Tom's shoes went through the same challenge right they were just starting mm. with B1G1 and people were saying well actually you're not you're just treating the symptom not the cause and so it's great that you're starting to think that way but what about I guess personally you know having come from that tech background how, how is there was there anything different around unhoused like what is it is it just you find it easy to get up for work each day is it harder what's how, how personally what what have you found the hardest so, so one of the things we we wanted to do actually was we it's this idea which was bubbling up right from the beginning which was you know what if we could actually innovate on the clothing themselves and at Christmas last year we launched what we think is the world's first sort of self cleaning hoodie so we we worked with a a, a manufacturing partner who knew about sort of nanotech especially in its application to fabric. And we basically developed this line of hoodies and jumpers, which essentially repel liquids, dirt, sweats and stains, and ultimately is much more sort of sustainable and durable for homeless people. And again, it's on a buy one, give one basis. So getting that, that was like a project within a project, I guess, because we had now no longer gone from just selling like a manufacturer's stuff, but actually like kind of selling our own creation. So that was really, really difficult getting that from idea to, you know, negotiating with, with the with the suppliers and the manufacturers and, and then and then getting it to reality. But it was actually really rewarding to just get that out into the world. It was pretty cool. And yeah. and and that's been pretty successful. So that, that was definitely one of the hardest things I think we've done. And and the other thing is also just getting interest, keeping interest sustained in what we do, because like I said, we don't spend any money on, on marketing or PR at the moment and so we kind of deliberately rely on sort of word of mouth and social media um, and we've been lucky enough to get some great pr pieces around what you know our work as well but those are all like free in the sense we you know we haven't had to pay for any of that and but it's difficult to maintain that you know as mm-hmm. a business you got to keep like you, you said around how charities have to spend on marketing too we know that you know one day soon we probably would need to start doing things like that to to keep everything alive <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But you're also probably in the phase where you're still trying to hone in on who's the target customer base as well. Like you're still, mm. you're going on that PR. So it sounds like millennials might be a big 
customer segment for you. So yeah, if you're going to spend marketing budget, you need to know who you're targeting, right? So otherwise, it's just, just a, like a scattergun approach and uh, hoping for the best, which is not very strategic with uh, when you're a startup mm, with mm. Yeah, limited resources. So, so yeah, exactly. so it's great that you've been able to build on that. And I think that's one of the strengths of having these purpose-driven businesses because what you do is you can grow organically that way because you start attracting people to your purpose who believe in what you're trying to do and then you build that loyal customer base so you actually don't need to spend as much marketing as on marketing certainly in the early days so mm. yeah, that's been yeah that's great yeah that's it for sure and so what do you reckon is the biggest lesson you've learned since starting unhoused i think it's to to move quickly if you have an instinct it's it's best to to move as fast as possible to iterate on that. So especially in the early days, I was tinkering with the site almost on like a daily basis, changing formats, changing things around, trying to make the user experience more streamlined and um, basically just trying to optimize as much as possible for, for the user experience. And, and I think being able to be so hands-on is really important in the early days to just keep iterating the product till till you get something that that works and, and orders are coming in. So I'd say that's one of the biggest learnings and and also just that, you know, you don't need to have all of the stock in our, in your room to 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 launch something necessarily. You know, like we said at the beginning, I think that was a really important lesson because that was something I was really worried about. You know, I was like, what if we get all these orders and, you know, we have to turn around and sort of give all this money back to people and say we haven't got it. But, you know, luckily we pulled all the logistics together and made it happen. But I think just not being afraid to do stuff like that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's this feeling that you're a bit of a fraud when you don't, you know, when you do like hacky stuff like that. But the truth is to get stuff off the ground, that's what you've got to do. I remember we actually did a press piece like when we, we were still working like that. I remember talking to the independent um, newspaper and, and they did a great piece on us. And, and you know, little did they know, I was talking to these journalists about, you know, we've got all these great items and you know, we set up this store and we're going to give one to the homeless. But like, we actually had nothing at the time, like literally yeah, just a yeah. site and me sitting on my desk. And in truth, like we'd spoken to the shelters, but of course we hadn't had any orders yet. So we hadn't given anything just yet, but we knew we would. And, you know, sure enough, it became like a self-fulfilling prophecy because of that piece. We ended up getting lots of click-throughs who ended up buying stuff, which ended up, like speeding up the whole thing and and then we ended up actually doing all the things we said we were going to do <laughs> but yeah. you know sometimes in life you gotta you gotta hustle a little bit to to get started because you know like i said you're not going to have everything on a plate from day one so yeah and it's really important to de-risk those assumptions so you were assuming mm. that people would love the cause uh, and you could have spent you know 100 grand setting up a warehouse and getting inventory <laughs> to find that actually yeah. you had it wrong and then you mm-hmm. set back five years on not making the change in the world that you're making today. So, yeah. So, yeah, so we, we call those um, leap of faith assumptions. So when you're starting mm-hmm. a coming up with a new idea, you know what things must be true in order for your idea to succeed, and then design mm-hmm. the cheapest, fastest experiment to validate, turn that assumption into a fact, right. which is basically what you've done. So, which is great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so if there was someone listening out there now who's you know on their way to work and they've seen some issue in the world and I think I really should do something about that, what's one piece of advice you give to someone like that? Oh, good question. I, I'm not sure if I could give one, but I would say uh, learn as much as possible, as fast as possible, and don't be afraid to approach people to ask them like their advice. The biggest, you know, the biggest place you can learn anything from are from people who've done it before, because you know success leaves clues. So 
if there's someone who's done something in that space before, just drop them an email. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to know who they are. You can do it cold. You can drop them on LinkedIn and just ask them questions. And it's just amazing how many people have actually replied to me when I've literally just shot them an email out of the blue and just asking for just advice on what they think. And, and that's often resulted in a phone call, which has often resulted in an intro to someone and so on and so forth. So so just don't be afraid to to put yourself out there and validate all of those initial assumptions and get that knowledge that you need to, to take you from, I guess, milestone one to milestone two. I think, I think that's been so important when you're like an early entrepreneur. Yeah, great. Good advice. So if people wanted to learn more or get in touch or learn more about unhoused.org, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah, literally just uh, log on to unhoused.org um, and you can follow us on Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook. Um, I think they're all pretty much at unhoused.org is, uh, is our handle. And, you know, my email is open. I'm always you know, love to hear from what people think all around the world. And in fact, most of our orders, we do ship all over the world. Most of our orders have actually been outside of the UK this year somehow. So we're always happy to, you know, talk and communicate with people all over really. Yeah, awesome. I was going to ask whether you're just in the UK or whether it's international, so you beat me to it. So that's good. So yeah. everyone can jump on unhouse.org and um, next time you're going to buy a, a white business shirt, jump and get one from there so that so you can help someone go for a job interview who's trying to get out of a tough situation. So we're going to wrap up now with what we call our mad minute, which is uh, five quick questions in 60 seconds. So you good to go? Oh, God. I'll do my best. <laughs> no one's ever stuck to the 60 seconds, but at, at calling it the like the mad four minutes and 12 seconds doesn't sound as good. So uh, anyway, we'll see how we go. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? It's reject rejection. If you get rejected for, by somebody or something, you're not in a worse position than you were before you had even asked. So don't be afraid to ask and reject rejection. <laughs> awesome. Have you got a favorite business book? I would say Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity. It's very old now, and it was sort of before the whole tech burst, but it's it's just a fascinating read into my favorite entrepreneur, I think. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, when you were a kid, what did you actually want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a journalist for quite a bit of time, and I also wanted to be a lawyer. I ended up doing the law degree, and then I ended up, writing a bunch of journalist pieces for like I've done a few pieces for the Guardian and the Huffington Post and then I realized that you could do that with it you could actually write pieces without having to be a journalist and then in the end I realized you know what I just want to be my own boss um, and, and entrepreneurship is the best way and most fulfilling way to do that awesome uh, what's your favorite quote oh I'm just trying to remember the whole thing but Give us the abbreviated version. Here we go. You know, people are always blaming their circumstances on who they are, but the people, people are always blaming their circumstances on who they are, but it's not your circumstances that define you. It's how you define them. It's the people that go out to make them. Yeah, nice. I like that one. I've actually added one to my list, which was, you may not have realized you said it a few minutes ago, but success leaves clues. I'm adding mm. that to my list of uh, favorite quotes because that's, that's, a, that's a great one. And yeah. if you go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Um, it's, to, it's to trust your intuition. I think when I was 20, I thought that the world was so um, big and crazy and I didn't understand anything. And then now I'm hitting, you know, it's, it's been almost 10 years. 
I'm really realizing that actually people don't know as much as you think they do. And that if I'd just taken a chance on this thing or that thing, you probably could have got somewhere with it because actually, you know, even people you think are the experts don't necessarily know, you know, the full picture or the full story. So it's to, you know, take a chance on doing something that you love. Yeah, great. And would you have listened? Would I have listened to to that would advice? You, would your tw- <laughs> twenty-year-old self have listened to that advice when you were oh. twenty? <laughs> you know, funnily enough, probably not. I was too busy, you know, trying to figure out what the next party was, I guess, and yeah. just just enjoying my university and, and life and trying to trying to go traveling as much as possible. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Well, that's it. So, look, I think you guys got a great story. I think it's a really good example of you know how to use a you know a clever business model to address a, a social impact that's got long term financial sustainability. And I hope we see great things from you guys. And make sure you know people listening out there they go and jump on unhoused.org and support what you're doing and buy your uh, next lot of clothing on there. I'll have to check out the dirt repellent hoodies as well I'll jump on mm, look self-cleaning yeah, appreciate the time all the way over there from in London and thanks for joining us on the Good Business Podcast thanks James thanks so much If you haven't checked out the great resources available on our website, which include free downloadable worksheets and guides uh, to help you build your own impact business, then head on over to www.bluetribe.co forward slash podcast. Now, if you like today's episode, make sure you click that like and subscribe button. Also tell a friend about the podcast so they can get some inspiration from great businesses doing great things. Coming up in the next episode. So I, I lost the whole farm and had a about a 90 grand debt on my shoulders, lost every single little thing. My brother gave me a couple of grand and I uh, bought a bit of camping gear. And, and uh, all I took with me was all these books that I'd had that I'd never read. And so I read these books while I basically lived in the Tasmanian bush for the next six months. My guest in the next episode lost his family's fourth generation farm and the grief and shame sent him into exile. But ultimately, this experience led him on a journey to explore positive ways forward for farming in Australia. Well, that's it for another episode of the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.